Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and I'm super excited. We've got a full house tonight. Lots of old friends back in the room and people who haven't talked to each other in ages. It's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, before we get into that, I have to bring in my co-host, Sam Bradley, who has organized this whole shebang tonight. So, hey, Sam. <laughs> hey, Jamie. Yes, it's uh, somebody mentioned Balmy a bit ago, and it's, it's actually been uh, we're like close to 50 today. Yeah, it's going to get close to 70 degrees. It, I want to say that a week ago, I walked out to my car and it was 10 degrees outside. So it has been quite the swing in temperature. And we still have snow yeah. on the ground because it, we had that much snow. It's taken so long to melt. Yeah, you just never know what you're going to get anymore. Uh, we got Dr. Joe with us. Hi, Joe. Hey, everybody. Good to see you. Is it balmy in Memphis? Uh, it was uh, high 50s today, which is a great change from the high zeros it was a couple of days ago. <laughs> yes. And Kevin, I guess uh, we have Kevin Ryder with us, and I guess you're glad you're not in Texas. Well, last week it got down to about six degrees, and today it got up to 56. So I'm super happy about Whoa. that. And of course, our crack meteorologist Dan Podwin and Miss Vicki DePodwin, our emergency planning expert. So we have a lot of experts tonight. But speaking of expertise, I'd love to do this once in a while. But we're going to have a few uh, hibernal terms, and that, by the way, means wintry uh, for Dan because it's always fun, and he had a pretty good track record on this stuff so far. But somebody just mentioned freezing fog. How does that work, Dan? Yeah, I, so I, these are my favorite episodes where we do a quiz, quiz the meteorologist. And I, you're right, I think I have a good track record, <laughs> a record, which probably means I'm due for a bad night. So we'll, hopefully we'll continue that. Um, but so, so freezing fog, and, it, and it's certainly timely because this week we've experienced a ton of fog across the United States. Actually, I was just, it's funny, I just saw this, stat before we did this podcast tonight that uh, the, the National Weather Service uh, obviously issues a bunch of different advisories for different weather events. And one of them is is fog and dense fog. And there's specific dense fog advisories issue when the visibility is supposed to be very low. And um, there's people that keep track of this sort of like how many counties of the U.S. have been under dense fog advisories at once. And in fact, the record number of locations that have been under dense fog advisories at once. We hit a record uh, three times this week. We've broken the record three consecutive days in a row. Um, so it's really the foggiest week in the last you know number of years across a large portion of the United States. And some of that fog has been freezing fog. And uh, while fog obviously is a danger because of low visibility, um, Freezing fog is especially dangerous because that occurs when it's just it's freezing fog is the same as fog, except the temperature is at or below freezing, meaning those very fine water droplets and uh, moisture can freeze on contact uh, with surfaces and cause icy conditions. So freezing fog is certainly a uh, dangerous phenomenon, and it's the same thing as fog, except it's it occurs when temperatures are at or, or below freezing. Is there any one thing, Dan, that's driving the the increased amount of fog? I mean, is it, I know, I, you know, is, is there one weather thing that happened this week that caused all this to happen? Uh, so, fog is sort of a. It's one of the. I, I think it's one of the more interesting atmospheric phenomena. It can be caused by a variety of different things. 
Um, but one of the one of the drivers of fog is when you have warmer air that is sort of being pulled northward, and in, in the case of the United States, is being pulled northward over cold ground. Obviously, we've had a lot of cold air early in January. We had a couple of Arctic outbreaks. So it's been below average in a lot of the country. So the ground itself, the ground is cold and, and, and soil and, and the ground takes longer to warm and cool than the air does. So anytime you bring warmer air over cold ground, that temperature difference and how, and you bring moisture, usually the warmer air has more moisture in it. Um, that is a recipe for fog. Um, and because of the fact we've pulled a lot of warm, milder air or relatively milder air northward across the country in the last week over very cold ground, that's sort of a recipe uh, for widespread fog, which is what we've seen. Well, that's not something I knew. Well, and now you know. Now I know. Yes, um, the the term that we've been throwing around now for weeks that's been hitting all of us is polar vortex. Explain that what it is, Dan. Explain what it is, and then um, has it gotten worse over the years? Is it, is there a change in what that does? So the polar vortex was a term that was sort of, I would say, made widespread um, back in uh, maybe eight to 10 years ago uh, during a pretty impressive outbreak of cold weather in the, in, in the United States. Um, and the, the polar vortex is, is, is nothing new. It's, it's always been around. It's, it's, it's a large area of, of cold air, basically, that surrounds the pole, of, of both the North and the South Pole. We care about it in the United States for the North Pole, obviously the South Pole polar vortex doesn't impact us. It, it always exists near the poles. Um, it strengthens during the winter time. Um, and it's sometimes based on how the jet stream, which is a, you know, a large, it, it's a, it's a fast flowing stream of air up at the altitude that planes fly. Um, sometimes in the, in the winter, that jet stream can come fa fairly far South. And if it comes far enough South and so the polar vortex will dislodge itself from being near the pole and that's how you get big Arctic outbreaks. And that can happen in Europe, Asia, or, or, or North America. And, um, in the last, and I wouldn't really say that, I'm not really sure if earlier this month it was necessarily the polar vortex that dislodged and came into the United States. But it was certainly a big Arctic air mass. So we sort of have this loose uh, sort of uh, connection now between any cold air and the polar vortex. That's not necessarily always the case. But significant, really cold, uh, you know, Arctic blasts a lot of times are, are associated with the fact that this that the polar vortex has sort of moved southward for a brief time before it retreats back to where it usually is, which is across the pole. Yeah, I remember our night of minus eighteen. That's uh, a little too cold for me. Okay, here's here's some interesting ones. Grapple. So grapple. Um, so this goes to sort of. Uh, winter precipitation types, um, and grapple is uh, basically it's sort of like sleet, um, which sleet is snowflakes that have melted and then partially refrozen. So you get sort of like ice pellets type type uh, precip falling from the sky. Grapple are soft, small pellets. And the way that their form is a little different. So sleet is when a snowflake melts and then refreezes, or partially melts, I should say, and refreezes. Grapple is when you have super cooled water droplets, um, which is basically things that are um, water that's super cooled. So it's below freezing, but it's still a liquid, which is possible, which is interesting. 
that's that 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 is a physical property that's possible. Um, and then so basically, super cool water droplets freeze onto a snow crystal. So you have a snow crystal like a snowflake, and you have super cooled water droplets that are liquid below freezing that freeze onto that snowflake, and you get um, it's sort of like soft uh, white pellets that fall from the sky, and that's grapple. Hmm. Snowflake stuff is cool. Um, yeah, there's a variety of winter precipitation types: snow, freezing rain, yeah, sleet, I've got a couple gravel. here. Yeah, yeah. hoarfrost. Oh, hoarfrost! I feel like this is like our winter. I think we did a similar episode to this a few few years ago. Um, I love hoarfrost; it's gorgeous. It is gorgeous. Uh, do you want to explain it, Becky? Since you since you chimed in there. No. <laughs> I mean, it's not unrelated to freezing fog. Yeah, it, it's certainly similar. It's basically when you have like water droplets that deposit, like basically there's always water vapor in the air, right? Um, water is a part of air. And so like you have water droplets that, that, that deposit on surfaces and it can, in certain conditions, you can get like sort of growth of those water droplets where it looks like you have like sort of icicles that are coming off of vegetation or trees and sort of like the growth of these water droplets over time that have, have collected on a surface to cause what are really cool looking like like a lot of white icicles but they're not like the icicles that are caused by melting water refreezing it's water droplets that are depositing and then building up on a surface over time i saw a picture of it on a fence and it looked furry that's a very good description <laughs> furry snow yeah um more here frost flowers that just sounded too neat frost flowers you know you stumped me on that one what is a frost flower it's related to ice ribbons and ice beards and they're very thin spindly unique formations of ice seen in late autumn or early winter when plants are first freezing oh look at that you know i've never heard of a frost flower makes total sense though where you get, yeah, you get really cool looking things that look like flowers or, or leaves, but they're yeah, yeah, all frost. That's what I was thinking. And the last one is fern, F-I-R-N. I know Kyle would know this. I think you stumped me on that one too, but so oh, I, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm Googling me. here. Oh, yes, this is, yeah, this is about <laughs> glaciers. Yeah, <laughs> glaciers is an area I certainly am no, I'm no expert in. So I guess it's the type of snow that's been left over from past seasons and recrystallized. Although, again, I've never heard of it, so I'm not sure I'm the best expert on this one. Anybody else got some good ones out there to throw at Dan? I was doing so well. You were. No, we, well, we can. I... Go ahead. I was going to say, can you tell the difference between hoarfrost and rime ice? Yeah. Oh, is, there, is there a difference? Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. I, I think there is a difference, but it's very, very subtle, and it has to do with how it forms, but they look very similar. Yes, I believe that, and doing a little bit of searching, but I believe the fact that rime ice is caught so we, we talked about freezing fog earlier freezing fog causes rime ice which, and they look very similar but um hoarfrost forms when the night is clear so it's just like the fact that like you have water vapor in the air and it freezes it basically the water vapor goes from freezing from water vapor to a solid form on the vegetation whereas rime ice is caused by the fog itself 
depositing water droplets. So it's a little bit different. They're very similar in what they look like, though. Okay, Dan, we give you extra points for that one. Uh, Jamie, you had something. No, no, I was saying I don't have anything because I'm just amazed at all the, you know, there's so many different words that describe wintry precipitation. I don't feel, I, I feel like rain doesn't get nearly the attention that snow does. <laughs> That's true. We'll, we'll, do, we'll, we'll do a rain one. Kevin, got anything? Uh, I'm just listening to the experts. I got nothing. Well, I got a question for Joe. Being as this weather has been so up and down and back and forth, and we never know what we're going to get, is there physiological issues that people have when it goes from like zero to 50 in a day? Uh, well, there certainly can be, you know, moving to extremes, much like uh, going from sea level to high altitude. Uh, can result in some physiologic issues. Uh, extremes of temperature can certainly do the same, uh, particularly if you are not acclimatized and do not have enough time to acclimatize uh, and are exerting yourself or have illness or something else going on. Hmm. Makes sense. Um, so, Dan, in general, uh, the weather has been Kinky at best, and certainly the the East Coast has taken a hit, and of course the South is underwater. Uh, what's going on there, and what can we expect in the next week or so? Yeah, you know, Sam, the the month of December was was warm in most of the country. Very little snow, not really much of a start of winter. Uh, although winter really did appear in January, and in fact, it's been well below average uh, temperature wise uh, across a lot of the country. Uh, since the beginning of the year, um, including you know, a big Arctic outbreak in the middle of the country, even to the Great Lakes and Northeast. Um, but some places like Denver, Memphis, a lot of you know, Kansas, Missouri, they've been 10 degrees below average so far this month, although we're starting to see a pretty significant warm-up warm up across a lot of the country. You mentioned there's been some snow. We finally had some snow in the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast for the first time in a couple of years. They um, New York City had over a 700-day drought of no calendar days with an inch or more of snow. That finally ended a couple weeks ago. Uh, the D.C. area, Baltimore area, got two back-to-back four-inch snow events in the same week. They hadn't had that in a while either. So finally some winter weather around. Uh, the, the story is going to be the uh, warmer weather over the next couple days, but a uh, interior snow event in the northeast sunday here um and as you mentioned too the wet weather in the south been a lot of flooding louisiana and texas and mississippi um pretty common in el nino years we're currently in el nino which is when the waters of the eastern pacific are warmer uh than historical average um and in those types of years we, we we tend to see a more active uh storm track near the gulf coast which can bring significantly wetter conditions uh, to that area, and that's what we've seen so far this winter. Ah, you know, I was getting El Nino has always been something because we get El Nino and, and what's the other one? Uh, La Nina. La Nina. So, what is La Nina? So, El Nino, as we mentioned, is when the waters of the uh, equatorial, so the the Pacific Ocean temperatures near the equator, when those water temperatures are warmer than average, it's El Nino. And when they're cooler than average, that's La Nina. And there's a lot more to that impacts the entire weather of the globe than those two things. But they are pretty significant drivers of weather 
uh, across the entire globe, especially North America. And there's certain things that tend to happen, not all the time, but tend to happen in certain situations. And one of those things we talked about, El Nino, typically a more active storm track along the Gulf Coast during the winter. Uh, also, uh, uh, you also may get more active weather or active uh, weather pattern in California during El Nino years. Uh, we think they may be coming up in February. And also, uh, those, those uh, weather patterns, El Nino versus La Nina, that also impacts how the... Uh, hurricane activity in the uh, Atlantic Basin during the summer and fall. Uh, El Nino years typically favor a uh, quieter season than normal, and a La Nina year will typically favor a more active season than normal. So uh, those are just a couple of ways that those two things impact the weather across the U.S. Ah, well, we've been very dry here the last couple of weeks. There's a weird thing about north-central Colorado we got the Rockies right next to us on the west and it always seems to like whatever weather patterns coming in it seems to stop right right there <laughs> so we don't know if we're going to get whatever's coming from the mountains or not um, that's just kind of weird because even AccuWeather can't uh, give us everything we need to know on that Dan yeah the mountain forecasting certainly a tough one and um you know, it's, it depends on which way the weather is coming too. I mean, the way that the, the reason that Denver tends to be a drier climate overall is that you typically have in, in North America, the winds move from West to East. And as air moves from mountains down to lower elevation, that's called downsloping. And as air moves, uh, descends, it dries out. Um, and that's one of the reasons that it's typically dry East of the mountains there because the air typically moves from West to East. Um, also, this time of year in Denver is, is not as snowy as people think, I think, is that it's, uh, you know, the snowiest month in Denver is late February into March. It's sort of the snowiest time of year, whereas January is, is, is actually a drier month overall. Um, so the snow is probably still to come, Sam. Ah, okay. That makes somebody in this house very happy. There's lots of snow. Um, Kevin, so... I was thinking the other day that, especially those of us in snow country, I, I don't think we've had a blizzard for a couple of years, but, you know, I suspect one's coming maybe this year. Um, and, and what if you have to hunker down for two or three days or four days or maybe even a week? And that can be just a cold weather situation, a blizzard, rain, fog, who knows? Um I got to thinking about what are those things that you should have in your house and maybe in your car that you need to get by, especially if the electricity goes out. So that the, the main important things are, you know, do you have enough food? Do you have enough water? Um, if you need to prepare food, do you have a way to cook that's not your you know, your, your electric stove, uh, do you have a barbecue grill that runs on propane? Do you have a backpacking stove? Do you have an alternate method to cook and prepare food? And more importantly, at least in my case, to make coffee, uh, which I just got done making, so perfect timing. Um, so have enough of what you think you're gonna need for, I'd say a minimum of 72 hours. Um, and it depends on what the event is, how severe they're calling it to be, uh, but don't wait until the last minute to go um, stock up. 
Um, I like to get a few things every week where whenever I go food shopping, if I'm buying a can of peas, buy two cans. Um, just buy a little bit um, throughout the year. So you'll have enough, you know, enough for a week or two weeks. And then uh, the other thing is water. So if you're not going to have bottles of water, um, any container you can store water in, like uh, empty tea bottles or milk jugs, obviously rinse them out. They're not great for long-term storage, but if you know next week you're going to get a massive snowstorm, start filling up empty jugs and that you'll have them. And if you don't use them, you can always use them to water your plants or, or you know, you can use them for something. Um, but the biggest thing is um, being able to prepare food or cook food. Or if you can't have food that you don't need to cook, um, pork and beans out of the can, um, they're cold, but it's food, um, crackers, and just whatever you can. And, and the other thing, too, is try to have dry food. That way, if the power goes out, you don't have to worry about opening up your freezer or your refrigerator because, as we all know, you lose power, um, open it more than a few times, and everything is going to spoil a lot faster. So by having yeah. a lot of dry goods on, on hand, you're not relying on refrigeration, you know, box of crackers or just whatever, um, chips and dip, whatever you normally eat, try and, you know, or, you know whatever your dietary preferences are, try and have, you know, again, 72 hours worth of food. Uh, the other thing is, which most people don't really think about, is being able to keep your devices charged, your phones, your laptops, whatever. Um, as long as your vehicle runs, you should be able to charge most things. Um, if you have a, a laptop, you may need to get a small inverter you can plug into your cigarette lighter, um, and that'll work. It'll take a little bit of time, but you can do it. The downside is you'll be, you'll be running your vehicle, so you'll be using a little bit of gas to do that. But in the event that you have no power, that is a source of power. Yeah, and I actually then, have a uh, an inverter in my uh, mm -hmm. Jake Bruiser, which is really great. Yep. But what if, <laughs> if your car's buried in snow, that may not work as well. But I definitely keep some chargers. I can plug in phones and laptops and whatnot. But yeah, you mentioned... And Hmm? You mentioned canned can, can, can peas, so mm -hmm. I'm thinking things like canned veggies that it doesn't matter as much if they're cold or hot. And mm -hmm. of course, you have to like veggies, but probably having a, a hand uh, can opener is a good thing. Mm -hmm. I've had yep. <laughs> I've gotten caught more than once with a bunch of cans of stuff, and I'm like, oh, how how can I open? So I still have I, a whole, I have a handful of P38s that I still have in the military, um, the, the military <laughs> issue can opener that we used to get go. with, with the C rations that were before the MREs I'm dating myself a little bit, but that's fine. Um, well, speaking of which, um, what about MREs? I know the ones they sell for the public are much better than they used to be. And there's even heaters in them, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, they normally have a higher amount of sodium. Um, most of the freeze-dried food, like um, Backpacker's Pantry or Wise or whatever, they're really high in sodium. 
but if you can get other, there, there, there are, there are options, uh, like for myself for low sodium requirements, there are a number of, of, uh, places that make lower, lower sodium freeze dried food. You can store it for, you know, long-term 10 years, 20 years, whatever. You can get them in individual, individual packets. You can get buckets of it. Uh, they're a bit pricey, but they are definitely good to have for a just in case event where you lose power for a week or like, you know, in Texas a couple of years ago, it was more like a month. Um, so there's a lot of options that the, the whole trick or the whole, the key is don't wait until the night before the storm hits and then go out and try and get all this stuff in your normal course of the day during the, the normal quote unquote year. Think about what would happen if we lost power for a weekend. Um, this was one of the bigger things that I would do when I had my classes is go home and hit the breakers, turn off power for the weekend, and then see what you need. And then after the weekend, talk about, hey, we didn't have enough power in our little handheld uh, power bricks to charge our phone for more than a day. Okay, well, now we know that's one thing that we need to get before the next event. And there's Amazon, there's Best Buy, there's all kinds of places you can get all this stuff. So yeah. the, the trick is don't wait until the last minute. Think about it, be prepared so that when it happens, and it's not just if it happens, it's when it happens, um, especially now. We, we don't know what's going to happen you know, next week, let alone next month. Have it ready. If you don't need it, that's fine. You have it. And if it's, yeah. if it's a, a storage, if it's a battery kind of thing, if it's a solar generator, Make sure you're you're charging it periodically and and testing it and and use it. Well, not to mention uh, the grocery stores are pretty scary. I know it right. even rains in Colorado and the store shelves are suddenly empty. So mm -hmm. it's not a place you want to be. Dan, right. do you have any thoughts or questions on what Kevin's talking about? No, I don't think so. I, I just was was listening to that. I get. Oh, I, I guess the one thing that I was I didn't realize there's different types of can openers. <laughs> I thought that oh was my god yes uh, I, i'm not familiar with all that so yes so in in. the event that you don't have a a can opener either a hand operated or whatever if you need to open a can of tuna let's say uh find yourself a curb grab the can mm. and just rub it you know it could be a curb it could be on the ground um but basically you're grinding away that lip that goes around the top of the can that keeps the lid on and it'll take a little while you'll 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 work up a sweat but you could open a can that way yeah that's a good tip also i mean this is pretty simple but always have a shovel right if you're mm -hmm. depending yep. on, on where if you're in a car or if you i we made the stupid mistake a couple of years ago we moved into our new place i had got rid of our shovel from our old house and was like oh, i'll get a shovel in time for winter had an early snowstorm had no shovel so that was a problem. Um, won't make that mistake again. But yeah, I, th I think uh, things like that, I think it's easy to think about them, but we don't always <laughs> execute on them. So, Well, and I'll add into that. I mean, just something as simple as like, I couldn't find any of our ice scrapers. Like, well, I don't know why they got taken out of the car, but they got taken out of the car and then I couldn't find them anywhere. So I was using a, a resin speed square. <laughs> to scrape my window and it worked but it wasn't it was it was an adapted tool at best well that's that's creative jamie 
that I did. Becky, you said you only have have ever had hand can openers. I didn't know there were can openers that required electricity. I don't know. We just buy like a normal hand crank one. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they have. You plug them in and you put the little can up there and there's a little magnet that goes on the top. I guess we're old school. I guess so, but. You know. The favorite one that I have right now, it's that new style where you, it's a hand crank, but instead of just slicing the top, it actually, it, it cuts horizontally. So you don't cut your hands when you take yeah. it, you can actually pop yeah, it off. Mm. I love that I've, thing. I've uh, used a couple of those. I, I do all these house sitting, so I'm in other people's homes. And the first time I saw one of those, I was like, what the hell do I do with this? It took me like half an hour to figure out how it works, but yeah. Takes it off such that you can't cut yourself on it. That's one of the benefits of having to to pare down on your electricity needs by moving into a very, very, very small space. Oh, I I can do this by hand. Not not a problem. Takes me 30 seconds. Doesn't use any power. That's great. Joe? Uh, I was just thinking that MREs make a fabulous uh, anniversary dinner. Uh, they go well with wine. <laughs> That's just weird. It was, but but I actually did that once, and it was really did fun. Did you really? Yeah. Well, I guess it could be, you know, candlelight and uh, yeah, well, a candlelight, glass of wine, and MRE, you know, like you do. Well, we're winding down here. Uh, Kev, anything else you want to add? I know there's a million things. There is. I mean, there is literally a ton of things. I mean, uh, so things I saw people do that in Texas during the snowmageddon a few years ago um, and other things in the preparedness community. Uh, if you know you're going to have the water shut off, um, like we were told that they're going to shut our water off tomorrow, uh, fill up your bathtub with water. Yeah. Um, you can even line it with a uh, like a large contractor trash bag, uh, but fill up your bathtub with water. Um, if it's freezing, and I don't, this is from you know being in Texas where it doesn't that doesn't happen, but once every ten years or so, so people really aren't used to it. Um, if your water gets shut off because and because the the pipes are freezing, find a different way to go to the bathroom because you don't really want to flush your toilet if you have frozen pipes or it's cold enough to freeze pipes because that can cause a major problem when it starts thawing out. Oh, yeah. So there's a lot of options on Amazon for ten to fifteen dollars. Get a, a bunch of boxes of uh, of trash bags, like kitchen bags, and just double bag it, and you're fine. Oh, Dan and Becky, any other uh, words of wisdom or parting thoughts? Chime in here as the newest ish parents. Um, Things that we've obviously had to start considering since having our daughters, making sure that you're taking into account their needs. So obviously kids have varying food needs of varying ages. Um, Anyone who you're a caretaker for could be someone who's elderly or someone who has special dietary restrictions. I think Kevin alluded to that. Um, But also medications. It's important. Like if you think you're going to be stuck inside without being able to to travel for a little bit, if it's going to be a really bad snowstorm, you know, check the level of, of any meds that you need to take. If you're low, see if you can get a refill sooner rather than later. 
um, so you're not, you know, stuck without and needing it. Um, I have one more comment, but I think that well, uh, pets also obviously take care of your pets. Make sure they have oh, all their yeah. their yeah, foods yeah. Yep. too. <laughs> For sure, you don't Definitely. want to run out. Well, Joe would know that one with all the dogs you have. Yes, uh, you are correct. <laughs> Although, uh, actually. Uh, three of them are currently doing a night operation training right now, so uh, they are they're doing well. Good. We're going to have to get uh, Kimberly back on to talk about what she's been doing with those dogs. Sure. Well, Jamie, throwing it back to you. Well, I've just written the title for this episode, folks. Uh, <laughs> Winter weather terms, updates, and can openers. <laughs> Perfect. Should we so, throw in Foley catheter? No, well, I, well, we don't need that for winter time. We'll just uh, say can openers. And yeah, you can't open I don't can know. I, either. Joe might have some winter uses for that. You can't open a can with it. You can't. No, it, it's it's really really difficult to do that. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So okay. no, I've, I'm actually you you probably could if you fill it if you fill it with water and then wrap it <laughs> around an idea. the can. You and gotta punch a hole in the can and stick it in the well, can. Well, no, and then and fill it use, use it like a use it like a tourniquet. Yeah, you know, yeah. get it get it windless. You know, get some water in there to, to get oh. it some. Uh, Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Huh. yeah. We're gonna try. Well, we'll we'll see. We'll 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 get back. We'll try. workshop it and get back to folks on that one. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to try it out. So. Test it on those really cheap, really, really, really thin cans. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I just want to, you know, I mean, one of the things we talk about all the time is that, you know, these are the type of things that you don't think about until you need to think about them. And often that's too late. And one of the ways that you can be prepared for those types of things, especially if you're a responder or, you know, dealing with these things in your community is to have the proper training to do that and think about these things ahead of time. And that comes with, uh, Paragon Medical Education Group comes in and customizes training evolutions for your community based upon the specific needs that you're likely to see and things you're likely to run into. And Joe, you guys do a really good job of that. Well, thank you. Although clearly we're going to have to expand to include weather terms and can openers now because that's a thing <laughs> that I have not addressed before. Uh, but we, we always are happy to talk with people so we can put together uh, training that suits their needs. Uh, and they can find us on the web at paragonmedicalgroup.com or on Facebook at uh, Paragon Medical Group as well uh, and through the Disaster Podcast. Awesome. Kevin, where can folks find out what you're up to at any given moment? Uh, they can go to the website, thebrokennomad.com. And I have links to all the socials and stuff there. Uh, videos will probably start flowing again uh, in the next month or so. Once I have my van rebuilt again for the third time and I'm back on the road. Awesome. Uh, but that's where uh, YouTube probably is the, the main place. But the website has links to everything. Awesome. I, I will look forward to following up what you're up to there. That always is fun. And um, Dan, where can folks follow what you're up to? You can find me on Twitter at WXDepot, D-E-P-O. Also on link on uh, the Disaster Podcast Facebook group. Awesome. Becky? Uh, we'll say Blue Sky for now. It's the place that I'm sort of 
going to post my cool weather picks. So awesome. WX Specs on Blue Sky and uh, the Disaster Podcast Facebook group. Fantastic. Sam, how about you? And hey, Dan, it's not Twitter anymore, just saying. <laughs> oh, I know. I realized that after I said that. Sorry. X, formerly known as Twitter. My bad. I, I, I like Twitter better, but that's sorry. Well, you can find me on the social medias under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11 and disasterpodcast.com and in our wonderful disaster podcast community on Facebook. Jamie? Yeah, and you can find me under the handle Podmedic in most social media spots. So friend, follow, or otherwise catch up with me there. And uh, again, remember, when you head over to DisasterPodcast.com, there are links over there right below the audio player on any episode that will help you subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our riveting content. And that's because, of course, a lot of can openers are riveted together. And I will just leave us at that. So, Sam, thanks for pulling this episode together tonight. And it's good to get uh, everybody in the same uh, virtual room again. It's been nice having folks yeah. here. Fun stuff. I love it. Definitely. Yeah.